Hey guys, and welcome to Goodversations, a collection of honest, deep dive conversations with young voices in the theater industry. I'm your host, Alexander Piheko, and I'm joined today by Matthew Rancombe. Matthew is the producer, lyricist, and director behind Perfectly Ordinary, a new British musical that aims to challenge our perception of mental health. The musical had its world premiere at the Guildford Fringe Festival in 2018 and is currently being produced in Australia and will then go on tour later this year. You will hear him talk about the unbelievable real-life encounter that sparked the idea behind Perfectly Ordinary and the ways in which writing this musical has had a profound impact on him as an artist, musical theatre professional and a human being. I have to say Matthew was an absolute joy to talk to and one of the things you might find interesting about his journey is just how many career opportunities he's had purely through being so engaged and active on social media, which we actually ended up talking about quite extensively. Be sure to follow Matthew on Twitter at Matthew Rancombe and subscribe to Goodversations for more episodes of this show. Here's my conversation with Matthew Rancombe. So Matthew, what's the one thing about you that all of your friends know? That I'm obsessed with Patty the Poem. That okay. is... Uh, it's like a running joke. I'm at GSA at the moment, about to graduate, and that is like last year. My secret Santa gift was a calendar with Photoshop photos of like me and Patty the Pwn together. And fun fact: mm-hmm. in two days' time, I'm going to be singing for Patty the Pwn. What? We're doing a workshop with her. So out of the blue, we just got told this last week, and I thought I was dreaming. So that's my life is about to be ended. Basically, that's what you would know about me. It's kind of like doing a mood board and then it materializes. Yeah, it's crazy. I like Patti LuPone as well. I saw Company. I'm sure you have. I've seen it four times. It's, a, it's an obsession. I need to calm it down. I know. <laughs> it's a good show. It's a great, it's great. show. Yeah. How would you describe yourself at this point in time? Excited. Driven. Uncertain. Okay. I dig it. I think okay. I'd go with those like three. Yeah, I'm really, because, I mean, graduating year of drama school is a scary, scary time, especially as somebody going into a performing career, which is why I then, you know, tend to go towards the writing and directing side as well, because it allows me to have some control of my future, but it's still such an uncertain time, so it's really exciting. Mm-hmm. I'm very driven to make sure that it is exciting, but at the same time, no idea what's going to happen, so it's this weird limbo. Why don't you briefly just kind of tell us about yourself, like what you do and all that good stuff? Sure. So um, I'm Matthew and I grew up in Sunderland, which is like way up north. Um, somehow never really had a very strong Sunderland accent. I was going to say, you don't sound No, like- I've got three half sisters who are, and my dad are all from down south. So I've always had like a slight mix, but certainly I've, I mean, I've only lived down here for coming on three years, but my accent very quickly vanished. Not intentionally, it just did. Um, yeah, went to, you know, normal school, all that jazz, always just kind of was creating things and running around dressed up as characters or whatever. And then I went to Newcastle College, I did a BTEC in musical theatre, which was amazing because I'd never really danced or anything before that, so I needed that to then get into drama schools. I've been at the Guildford School of Acting now for 
two and a half, three years on the BA Musical Theatre. And that has really been like where I've found my thing. It's incredible because I'm training as a performer, but obviously my long-term aim is to write, direct, produce on the creative side. But it's been invaluable to train like this, and obviously I do want to perform alongside. So they've been great in terms of Perfectly Ordinary, which is the show I'm writing. That they helped us workshop it, and they offered us you know rehearsal space, and we got a lot of our set and props from the GSA department, which has been they've been so great at kind of encouraging me to explore other things as well as perform. And then I'm here, and I'm about to graduate, and I've got no idea what's going to happen in the next year. Did you see a lot of theatre growing up? Was it part of your world? It was, and which is really strange, because I wouldn't say that either of my parents have always been crazy. They're not theatre people, but certainly we were really lucky to have a lot of local venues that got a lot of the big tours in. So I saw, the first show I saw, I was three years old. Oh. Which is, I know it's really young to take someone to go see like a two and a half hour musical, but I went to see Annie. Um, I was obsessed with the film. My nana, I used to stay on the weekend, we would watch, you know, Wizard of Oz, Annie, all those things, and I had a very obsessive personality as a child. I know, oh god, I shouldn't say this on a podcast, I did get my mum to call me Annie for a while, I called her Miss Hannigan, like it was, it very obsessive, as you can imagine from like a three-year-old boy. So I went to see Annie, yeah, at the Sunderland Empire when I was three, and I cried at the end because I didn't understand that it wasn't like a video, so I couldn't rewind it and watch it again, which is why... And I was devastated, and people were like, what's going on, is he all right? And it was just because the show had ended. And I think that kind of has set me up for the rest of my life. And yeah, since then, I did a lot of Amdram, where I would get to, you know, hear about shows that, I guess, me growing up wouldn't really know about. Like, we did Hello Dolly once, and I'd never heard of Hello Dolly, and now, I mean, I'm obsessed with that. I flew to New York to see it last year. Um, did you actually? I did. I saw Bender Peters do it, and oh, it was amazing. it was magical. Did you see Gavin Creel, or was he out? No, he was out, so it was Santino Fontana, who was amazing. Cool, yeah, it's a good replacement if yeah. you've got to see someone else. Yeah, that was just glorious. So, yeah, I've had... I've been so lucky in the fact that my parents have really supported me always and you know as soon as they found out I had an interest in theatre at the age of three they um they always made an effort and there's not a lot of things that toured that I didn't get to see so yeah I've been so lucky with stuff like that. Is it what you hoped it would be you know now studying musical theatre? Wow what a question. It's not what I thought it would be but I think it is every bit as wonderful as I hoped it would be. Yeah, I think it is what I hoped it would be, and more, because I never I never thought I'd have the freedom to explore my own side of things as well, especially with the training, and being down here has been incredible, to see so many Western shows and meet so many people. But I think it is, it's more than what I hoped it would be, actually, because I, I feel constantly surprised by things, and I thought, by the time you finish drama school, you'd be like, yeah, I know what happens, boring, like, yeah. going to show, do this. And that's not at all what I'm looking at in my future now. So it's changed, but it's as wonderful as I hoped. Oh, good. Yeah. That's nice. And what is it like being an empty student? Because obviously, I, I've never experienced that world. So I'm just interested to know. It's hard work. It definitely is. And I know it varies from school to school. I've got friends at other schools who have different experiences to me. For me, it's been a challenge. Um, but I've constantly felt pushed and in a good way. I think GSA are great, they have great pastoral care as well. So you're never like, I've never felt emotionally insecure or, or vulnerable. But there are times when you're tired and you just need to have a good cry. But overall, it's amazing. And especially at a facility like we've got, the people that we get in, I mean, as I said, Patty Lapone is going to do a workshop with, can you get any better than that? 
but yeah, just uh, the third year shows we're doing, all of our directors have been external directors who work in West End and regionally. So it's, yeah, it's tough work and, you know, physically it's really demanding and emotionally as well. And it's expensive mm. to, um, thankfully, GSA is part of the University of Surrey. So we can have all the student finance things that normal yeah. uni students would get, which is, we're one of the only drama schools, I think, certainly at the level that GSA is, that gets really? that kind of support. Oh, so you wouldn't be able to get that tuition fee loan and all that? Okay, don't quote. Mm, I think, yeah. certainly when I was looking at other schools like Arts Head and Mount View and that kind of place, mm-hmm. their fees are a lot more. On right. When I auditioned, GSA was nine grand a year, which mm-hmm. is covered by student finance. But Arts Head and Mount View, I believe, are like 14 or 15 grand a year, and it's private, it's privately funded. Okay. So it's, and obviously Guildford's not London either, so it's slightly cheaper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The student <laughs> rent is not great, yeah. um, but you know, it's slightly yeah. cheaper. So I've been lucky in that respect, that it means I have disposable income to come into London and see shows, but yeah. then go home to Guildford where it's a bit cheaper. <laughs> I was going to say, like, because obviously I'm not even from this country. Mm. So for me, because I'm from Latvia originally. Oh, that's a, exotic. A, well, well <laughs> mm, very northern. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's super cold in Latvia right now. It's like minus 15, I think. Wow. I know. I've like got friends cool. who are at GSA from Canada. And they're, oh, yeah. they're off, every time they go home for winter, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, they've got these photos of them in, like, loads of snow. And, I mean, we get sprinkling and the world stops. Exactly. I don't, Everything yeah, stops. I can do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm happy to be here in that regard as well. But um, but yeah, when I came over, I had to save. I think for five years, six years. It's like, crazy. Yeah, and and luckily, obviously, I got the tuition fee loan mm. and everything like you guys would. But I was just like, I couldn't even imagine moving to London because that would have been just bang mm. me. Right well, that's now. the next step in the next yeah. few months. Is I'll be moving in more centrally, and yeah. that is like you say, it is a worry, but part of the exciting future is how I'm trying to look at it exactly it is it actually is and and what I found is that it all falls into place yeah sometimes you just have to let Mm. let it let it happen to you I think that's like the motto of somebody working in the arts though is I mean like any job we're going to get unless I amazingly get some sort of artistic director thing one time in my life but otherwise you know a lot of jobs you're going to be as an actor anywhere between like a few weeks and a year is really the maximum you're ever going to be employed in one job which is you know I speak to family about it up north and you know they don't quite they, they're so good but they don't quite understand the, the world of theatre which I guess a lot of people don't and I think that's one thing like my sister the other week bless her she said have you applied for any jobs and I was like I that's not a thing that happens I was like I have to get put forward for a job I have to audition all this kind of thing it's not the same kind of now I've got a job, okay, cool, I can breathe again. I think there's that constant, okay, so I've got a job for the next two months, but what do I do after that? And that's what I'm kind of like prepping myself for and trying to create my own work and have things put in place so that I know, you know, in a few months' time I may have this rehearsal process or to keep myself creatively engaged and financially stable. Is that that balance? Does anyone ever get there? Who knows? Are you a planner or are you just kind of... Oh, I'm a planner. Mm. I try and go with the flow, but I, I do like to be organised. I hate being late for things. Today I was five minutes late and it stressed me out. Um, yeah, I, I do like to plan and I'm, I'm a very logical thinker, which is lucky for me, I think, in this industry because I know people around me and you know, I've got friends who have become really stressed and overwhelmed with this uncertainty of the industry at this kind of young age going out into it. 
And I think for me, I logically, if I get those thoughts, I'm very good at rationalizing and being like, okay, but that's fine because I can work here just like doing a nine to five job, whatever, that will pay my rent. And then I've got my own. So I do like to plan and I like to organize and it helps me feel in control of my own life. Whereas if I just see what happens, I think for me, I would start to drift and it would become a lot of watching Netflix and not getting out of bed. <laughs> I, can't, I can't let myself do that. Yeah, I... Yes, I'm a planner. Yeah, so just circling back to your education and all that, what's the most memorable class that you've taken so far? Ooh. Just shocking you with all these... I know, these are, these are questions that like I, I've just never thought about. I mean, drama school is such a blur, so narrowing it down to individual classes, even I'm like, whoa. I think one great thing that one of our lecturers, um, Nick Scrivens, says to us, and he does a lot of work as a director and a writer and things, and he's great. He really just hammered home the fact that it's not life or death it's musical theatre and I think as people in the arts it becomes your life and I think it is important to be able to step back and go like look if this doesn't come through you know I've had meetings with venues or with um, producing things about my show and you know sometimes it doesn't go anywhere and that's absolutely fine but I think first back to a year ago that would probably be the end of the world and now I'm kind of I literally like oh cool yeah that's fine because that kind of thing happens so I think yeah that's one thing I've taken from my training. I mean, one thing, a lot of things. But I think the overriding thing is it's not life or death. Chill, wait, it's gonna be fine. It's an interesting mix. You're a planner, but also I'm a planner. Chill. But I, yeah, it's I, I just try and rationalize. Yeah. So I guess I can plan for something, but if that doesn't come out, I can rationalize and go, well, it's fine. I'm not gonna die. Yeah, so, <laughs> exactly. I just try and keep like even-headed at all times. Actually, I'm curious to know, do you get any social media training while you're at the... Uh, we do, actually. Do you? Which I'm not sure if other We had it last week, um, and I <laughs> I made a stupid mistake and blocked myself from Twitter. How um, did you do that? So, Terry Paddock, who, uh, as you nod, yeah. I'm assuming you know who she is, yeah. she comes in every year to speak to the third years, and I mean, she's a Twitter guru. She runs... She did. She started what's on stage, and she runs my theatre mates and all those kind of things. Um, so yeah, she came in and gave us a talk, and she just made this throwaway comment about um, the fact that if you put your birthday into Twitter, it will flush it with balloons every time it's your birthday on the screen. And I was like, oh cool, I'm going to do that. And turns out I'd never put my birthday into Twitter before, and I made my Twitter account when I was like two months shy of thirteen, yeah. and you can't have it until you're thirteen. So it worked out that I was underage when I made the account and deleted my account. What? Whilst I was in the middle of trying to do a talk on how to use Twitter, it just locked my screen. Um, thankfully, I had to send off a load of forms and stuff, and I got it back after like four days of hell. But yes, we do get social media training, and I know that comes quite late in the third year, and that's more on how to market yourself and the tools available to you that I guess everyday people don't need, whereas we're marketing ourselves as a business. So there's stuff like the... Um, where you can analyse your audience and your outreach and things. But then, I would say from first year, you're very much encouraged, like, you know, if you've got stuff on here that's maybe inappropriate, it's probably good to go through and delete that. It's not coaching, and they don't tell you what to do. Yeah. But certainly, in this day and age, it is something that people will look at. And I know, like, if I'm meeting with someone or whatever, I will look on their social media. I mean, we connected through social media. Yeah, so exactly. So, I find it an amazing tool. Um, so, yeah, we actually do get trained on that. Who knew? Yeah, because I was listening to a podcast and it was kind of different. It was about Gary and Hansen because obviously they yeah. have to have social media oh, yeah, because of, of the 
you know, feedback from the show and people connect with it mm. so deeply. But yeah, and they were just saying how they're given links to send to people. They're given like, they're told basically the, the like tone of voice that they should keep. It should be neutral. You shouldn't really kind of be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry because then you get too invested and, you know, yeah. it's detrimental to you sometimes. That's really interesting actually. Yeah, yeah we, we've never talked about that, but that certainly as you're going out as a public profile, yeah, I think if you, especially with something like David Hanson, where you've got fans and people coming forward with their stories, I think it's that balance. We had this with Perfectly Ordinary. We had a couple of emails and things from people, or even after the show, speaking to us saying, like, this really connected with me, um, different stories and things. And it is, it's tricky because certainly on our small scale, we want to really engage with people. Yeah. But at the same time, you don't want to take on any personal responsibility for that. And I think it's, you know, Perfectly Ordinary is all about mental health and the different aspects. And a lot of it has been through talking to people who've had these issues because that's the only way that I found to make sure it was really accurate and you know wasn't going to be offensive or anything. But yeah, I think it's it's really important to connect with people and social media is great for that. But you're so right about that in terms of not getting too engaged with strangers on the internet. Mm, the dangerous thing. <laughs> As I sit here with a stranger from the internet. Exactly. Um. <laughs> But hopefully we're not going to be complete strangers by the end of this, but True. totally. Um, so talking about Perfectly Ordinary, actually, uh, that's a musical that you've written and developed, so could you tell me a bit more about that? What inspired you to do this? How did it all come about? Yeah, okay. A couple of years ago, I um, I have a friend, Joe Wilson, who wrote the music for the show, who um, we'd known each other for years. He's also from Sunderland. He happened to move down at the same time as me. He was teaching at Arts Ed. And we kind of, we talked before about like, oh, we should write something together and, you know, just thrown around. We both visited uh, psychiatric wards, kind of some research. Um, we had a friend and we went to visit um, and I met this girl that I have no idea who she is. I have no idea how I could ever find out who she was because obviously these kind of things are very confidential. Sure. She was just absolutely incredible. And I've, I don't think I've ever had the experience again where I literally must have spoken like three words to her. And I couldn't stop thinking about her for like days. She was just, she had like this weird aura where she, she just seemed like magical in a way. She was waiting in a court, I was waiting for my friend to be brought through. And she, I was so weird, she came up to me and I was a little bit on edge because, I mean, the show aims to kind of get rid of the myth about psychiatric wards and all this, you know, the people in there are scary. Ooh. Yeah. But obviously going into one for the first time, I did not research anything, I was a little bit nervous. And she came up to me and I was like, am I allowed to talk to these people? I'm not sure. And she just kind of started chatting to me and she asked my name and she told me that she was a saint or something. And I was like, oh, great. And she knows I've got a scar on my forehead from a, a car accident when I was young. And she noticed it straight away, very directly. It was like, how'd you get this scar? And I was like, oh, I had a car crash. And she, she said, oh, that's like Harry Potter. You, you know, you, you, must have, you must have a wand. And she's like, the one, the one chooses the wizard. And then she kind of wandered away. And I thought, okay, like, interesting. Went to see my friend and she appeared at the door about five minutes later with a stick. And it was my magic wand. And she came and she said, Harry Potter's got his wand. And she left. And that is the only interaction I've ever had with her. But she is the reason the show exists. And I wish I knew who she was. That is the most incredible thing I've heard. Yeah. Like, it really... Yes. I haven't thought about that in ages. That just made me like, wow. But, um... Whoever she is, I hope she's well. And you wrote that character in the, in the movie. Yes, yeah, so well. we have a character called The Girl because we I didn't want to name her because she was so real to me. So And you didn't know her name. So. Yeah, so we found I mean we tried for ages, but I was like, it doesn't feel right to name this person because she's 
real. I mean, she has a lot more to say in the show than she does she did in person. Um, but yes, the girl is one of the main characters, and In Between, which is her kind of big eleven o'clock number, was the first song from the show that we wrote. And it was, I think it was the night I got home from meeting the real life girl. I just, I was like, I need to write about, and I'd never written a song before. I'd never written it. I just sat down and wrote the whole song, and I think it's been virtually unchanged since. And I just sent it to Joe, and I said, I met, you know, this girl today, and I was like, I can't stop thinking about this. And he was like, oh, I think you've captured her, wrote the music, and then we worked out how the rest of the show was going to fit around that. But yeah, she just really, there are just those weird moments in life where you're just like so inspired by something, and that was it. And then it kind of unraveled and fell into place. So what was that process like? once it unraveled and mm. you started doing it did you did you make a decision that this is going to be a musical or did you just think I'll just write something and then we'll see I think the planner in me was like okay this is a musical we need to structure it we need to know what else is going on so we had that song in place and we knew that we wanted her to kind of not be the I, we decided she couldn't be the principal character because of my worry about giving us too much information about her when I didn't know that myself in reality so she's very much, uh, we have a character called James who has been admitted to the ward and he doesn't believe he belongs there. And she kind of acts as a catalyst for him to kind of be inspired and see that, you know, it's all right to be there and he's, he can change and things. So we kept her kind of there because that is the relationship I felt with her. So I felt like I could write that. And then, yeah, so then that relationship was born and then I thought, well, okay, he is an outsider to this place so everyone loves an outsider that's I mean a, a rule of like classic literature everything if you've got a protagonist who's an outsider it works great and I suppose everyone in the show is an outsider in terms of society but we had him be the outsider of the world because it allowed us a window in to see everything freshly because he was newly on the ward you know and then I was like well we need a nurse character so we had her and everything else just kind of pieced around that and it took a while we wrote um, James's first song which is the next one we wrote so we kind of knew that those two were going to go there and then we kind of built some other characters around people I'd met people we'd researched we workshopped it in the summer of 2017 at Arts Ed um, with a bunch of voluntary actors not necessarily from Arts Ed just we put a thing out on Twitter power of social media got a load of submissions thankfully these wonderful people just volunteered a week to come and spend it with us it was only it only ran at like 45 minutes or something at this point, we had like a small invited audience, got a bunch of feedback, and then then it was like hard work. It, up to this point, we'd just kind of like been going along writing things and, you know, kind of just seeing what happens, like thinking, oh yeah, maybe this lot's here. And seeing it on its feet, I mean, there was a whole character that we just cut completely. Um, it just had no place in the show. There was like songs that didn't quite fit. There were songs we knew we needed to add. But I went through a stage after the workshop because I realised it needed change, of putting too much change in and trying to like add crazy new narrative devices and like weird flashback sequences. And I just read, I mean, I wrote this new version, read it, and I was like, what am I doing? Like, that's not the show that we set out to write. So I went back, and now I think that it's not finished, but the current version is certainly much closer to the original than the in-betweeny one. So yeah, then we underwent some more reruns, asked some people to read some things. I have an incredible friend who I'm gonna talk about, uh, called Samantha Dye. She's a voice and acting teacher at Art Ed, and she is a godsend. She reads all my scripts and tells me what's awful. She's wonderful because she won't, 
she won't ever tell me what I should write, but she's very good at telling me what works and what doesn't. So, you know, there have been backwards and forwards on, like, one line sometimes. She'll be like, no, I hate it. And I'm like, but I think it's this. She's like, no, I disagree, it's not. So I really value collaboration and having somebody there to just tell you that you're not terrible or tell you that you are terrible sometimes is really helpful. So she was instrumental in getting it to where it is now. And then, yeah, I think it was around this time last year, around February, that we applied to the Guildford Fringe and they offered us a slot. And then we got back to the casting process, put all of that together and um, worked out how to produce the whole show. And like, I think we... I think the budget was something ridiculous, like five hundred pounds, um, to luck. try and to yeah. try and do it. So yeah, that was an experience. But again, thanks to GSA, thanks to the amazing cast who works on a profit share basis. Which the creative team we felt awful because as an actor, I know how important it is that people get paid and how rare it can be sometimes for people to be. So we took ourselves out of this profit share, didn't make anything, and I think the cast got like twenty five pound each for like a week and a half of work. God bless them. But I think that's a thing that um, we need to work hard for in the arts in general. Because I very much agree that actors should not have to accept that kind of work. But then as writers, it's very hard for us to be able to produce our work and get it seen and get it staged without the kind of people who are willing. So it's, I don't know what the solution is, but hopefully one day we find something. Drama schools can really be instrumental in that because you've got to encourage the younger people training, that actors don't just have to be told what to do, they can have this creative voice. And if you get them in touch with new writers and new directors and let them create, I think that's great for everyone because you've made all these connections and you never know where things can lead from stuff like that. So I think there's a lot of work being done. Just want to do some more. So what kind of life skills have you picked up from developing your own material? I think the planning element has actually, yeah, I am a lot more organised now than I was a few years ago. And I think a lot of that is also moving away from home, having to support yourself, you know, pay your own rent, that kind of thing, uh, clean the house. But yeah, certainly writing my own show has helped me deal with rejection, I think, which I'm really happy to have got out of the way slightly before I even graduate drama school. Because, you know, we submit our work for various competitions or production opportunities, and, you know, you do, you do get turned down. And I think the realisation that's not necessarily a reflection on the work, it's a reflection on, well, it's just not the right place at the right time, you never know somebody else's reasoning. That's certainly something for going forward in my career and my life, is that not everything is actually your fault. And it's not to do with your talent or your skill set, sometimes it just doesn't work out. And then just like how to like talk to people and have meetings and present yourself a bit more, because I've never had to do anything like that yeah. in the past. Do you get any classes on kind of I guess it's abstract, but you know, how, how to interview, you know, what to do when you're being interviewed or like how to present yourself. Yeah, so we have from the beginning of the second year um, classes, uh, professional development classes. So we have lessons on how to self tape um, for auditions, lessons on how to present yourself in an audition, literally classes on what to wear, what kind of things you can sing, you know, everything you can imagine we talk about. We don't get told what to do, but again, yeah. it's a it's more of a reflection on like, okay, so what do you see in the room? So I know early on in second year, I think maybe the first week, we had our first ever mock audition, which at the time was such a crazy big deal. You know, you've got to dress appropriately, whatever. And, you know, the rest of the class would sit at the front with whoever was leading the session and you would feed back like, oh, I saw this, this is my first impression. And it's really interesting because yeah, there are things that 
that I remember my first drama school like my audition within drama school for one of our projects I, they fed back they were like you sound really aggressive and I'm like I wouldn't say I'm an aggressive person and I was like I don't understand but apparently I'd gone in and the panel was still having a chat and I just wanting to be eager and presentable was like hi but it sounded as I was like shouting at them so things like that that you would just I guess in an everyday job and things nobody gives you feedback on what they think of you when you walk into a room and it's a really weird industry to be in where like every tiny thing you do can be dissected and you know you saying hello as you walk into the room could be the reason you don't get the job so <laughs> so yeah we do get classes on that and it's I think that's so important and that's one of the things I've learned from doing my own work is how you are viewed by other people and how you view other people you learn a lot from having meetings with other people and being like oh okay so this is how it goes so how should you dress for an audition? Definitely depends on the part. I think coming at it actually from a, uh, obviously I directed the first production of Perfectly Ordinary and I assistant directed on the UK tour of Salad Days this summer. So I've had a little bit of experience on the other side of the table. I don't think you need to dress too formally. I know there's a habit and like certainly I've done it as well to like go get crazy and like, you know, girls in crazy high heels. And if you're doing that kind of show, maybe, maybe that's perfect. Um, I would say look like yourself that's the most important thing is look like your photo because otherwise people are going to be confused um, but yeah I think everybody gets it like you've had to walk through London get tubes or whatever to get to the audition no one's expecting you to look as if you've just like stepped off a runway and just make sure that you feel comfortable because I would hate to walk into a room and be really conscious of what I was wearing so I think my vibe is just like smart cash okay. similar to like if you were like popping for drinks smart okay. cash <laughs> what will the audience be thinking about in the car as they leave the show? Going back to perfectly ordinary. Hmm. I hope that they would be reflecting on how they respond to others around them with mental health problems and just how they perceive that. The show is really reflective um, and it's not so much a linear storyline or anything. Um, there is a plot, but I wouldn't say it's story driven. Um, so I would hope they just be reflective on their own behaviour and on little things that they might be able to do to make the world a little bit more accepting and understanding of mental health problems. Because virtually everyone is going to have a mental health problem at some point in their life. So I think it's such a bizarre thing that that would ever be a taboo subject because everyone goes through that. And obviously to varying degrees, I'm not saying everybody's mentally ill, but... I think we can be a lot more understanding and a lot more open about it and that's one of, I think one of the main reasons we wrote it is we just want people to talk about it so as they're leaving I don't really mind what they're thinking about as long as they want to share and talk about it and discuss because I think as human beings we're intelligent enough hopefully fingers crossed who knows Brexit uh, um, to kind of make our own decisions and come to our own realisations but the main theme of the show for me is human connection and empathy taking away all the social context and the political context and whatever, at the end of the day, it boils down to we need other people to survive. And that openness to, to really be there for other people and to let ourselves need other people. I think there's, there's something awful in isolating yourself and trying to be so independent that you don't have anyone. So I think, yeah, human connection, empathy, are like what I'd love people to reflect upon. 
a lot of work that we see now doesn't necessarily have that. Obviously, mm. it's moving to that direction with the same like Dear Evan Hansen, mm. all of that, even you know, company, all that. But um, but yeah, it's it's good that you're doing something to kind of facilitate that conversation. Yeah, and I think slightly different to shows. I know that mental health musicals are simply refer to them when I was talking to them because they're, they're you know there have been a couple like Next to Normal, Dear Evan Hansen, really do tackle that thing, and then. Like you said, there are other shows that maybe more subtly have kind of themes throughout. I mean, Company, Joanne is a, an alcoholic, and there's a lot of a lot going on there with her. But I think what's slightly different is our show doesn't focus on one particular character or one particular mental illness, and we don't like nobody talks about their actual official diagnosis in the show either. So it's kind of left open to you know if you relate to someone, great, because I think if you walk in, you say hello this character is this and they have bipolar then anyone who is not diagnosed with bipolar is like cool that's not me and that's the opposite of what we want to achieve there's production and then there's distribution and it's a Mm. very different world so production it's all about writing it developing it whatever but then you kind of have to factor in the distribution side so like social media marketing getting the word out whatever so how has that experience been for you i kind of do everything myself Mm -hmm. i'm one of those kind of like if you want it done just do it yourself so I run our perfectly ordinary Twitter um, and I designed our marketing materials for the first production. So yes, I'm really heavily involved because <laughs> part of me as well, we can apply to many producers and things as we want, but you know, especially for the Guildford Fringe production, I knew that last summer I wanted to spend some time and get the show on its feet and do a production. And I knew that if nobody else wants to produce it, then I was just going to do it myself. You know, it's part of that ownership thing again, I keep going back to of wanting to have control over my own creativity um, and thankfully I was in a position that I was able to do that so yeah getting the word out is do you know Twitter I think is just invaluable like it's actually an incredible tool we hashtag mental health awareness and new musicals and things and I think people want to support that kind of thing firstly a new British musical which actually at the moment we're getting a lot of which I'm really happy about but it, I think ours is you know very different and it's not maybe a trendy show I did find it slightly harder because there's not a market already there there's nothing recognisable about it the, the title's a bit weird but it was certainly a challenge to kind of get it out to as many people as possible but we sold out our initial Guildford Fringe run which was such a amazing feeling so we added an extra performance um, which was really nice it was lovely because we didn't think we were going to be able to sell what we already had so then to add another show was lovely I mean our whole cast came through social media advertisements we would tweet out oh we've got this role to film then other people would tag their friends and be like you could do this and then we'd get an email from them like oh I'll come in so I think it's such a powerful tool especially for people like me who are starting off as young whatever I am directors, producers, writers all of the above whatever I can manage but if I put out some tweets and say look this is the deal can anyone help you get a lot of responses and marketing as well we got I did an article with um Rochelle Balboa her website and she's a incredibly she has a theatre blog and a mental health blog so naturally it was a great fit for us so I did an interview with her and she came to review the show and you know tweeted that out to her followers and things so I think if you use it well social media for all the damage it can do sometimes is actually incredible and I think it can really bring us together and help new work and, and young artists to get seen and heard which is so important. I feel the need to keep updating it and just letting people know that, oh, we're rewriting this song today, we're doing this, because that's how you stay 
noticeable, I guess. I read somewhere that you are going to Australia, or the show is going to Australia? The show is going to Australia. Yeah. Again, through the power of social media. This is the craziest situation. I... I, I, still, I talk about it, but I still don't feel like it's a real thing that's happening. There's a great guy called Daniel Craig, who is not James Bond, who had known Joe through um, some stuff with the London Musical Theatre Orchestra. So they were on Facebook together, one of those like, oh, we've met each other, we'll add on Facebook, as you do with people like that. And he does a lot of work over in Australia and was looking to kind of start producing some small-scale stuff himself because um, he noticed that a lot of the things he was involved with in were like... Um, revival kind of stuff or like different like productions of well-known shows and he was like I want to see if there's a market for something a little bit smaller so he'd contacted us in July last year and said look I've, I've seen about your show I've been following it for a while I've just read a bunch of the reviews and they look really great do you have any material you could send over and we were kind of like hmm who is this guy what's going on so we sent over I think he had to bug us for like a month because I we were like so unsure about it and we thought it was like spam email <laughs> so we didn't bother and we emailed Dan over some stuff and he was like look I really like the material it'd be great to have a chat over Skype but I would like to do it in Australia and we were like cool and I Skyped with him we had like a, an hour long chat introduced ourselves um, and he just really seems to get it I think he's very much on the same wavelength as us thankfully we had a recording of the production that we did so he got a look at that um and i know that he has they've had a reading in australia and he sent me back some stuff we we need to change a couple of um references and things for an australian audience it's touring to three or four different cities and hopefully i will be able to fly out schedule permitting and um see my show done in australia which is so bizarre how crazy does it sound it's not yeah it sounds it honestly i'm waiting for an email to be like actually it's a joke. So yeah, it's really fun. And I mean, a little bit scary, as I've said, because I've been so deeply involved with it, producing, directing, writing it. Um, and Joe has musically directed both productions as well. For us to like let go and say, okay, now you go and do the show is really strange because we um, now have no input in the actual production. So we'll fly over and, you know, maybe catch a couple of rehearsals, but there's a great possibility that we will just see a performance and we won't know the cast, we won't know anything. So it's really exciting, but a little part of me inside is like, no, my baby! If I want to continue writing, that's something I'm gonna have to get used to. I'm kind of curious to know, has being a performer influenced the way you see shows? Yeah, definitely. I've come to appreciate, do you know what? I've come to appreciate the ensemble so much in the last few years, like, wow. And as somebody who hadn't really trained in dance before drama school, I now, there is nothing I love more than like a really clean dance number. Um, yeah, I definitely ensembles, understudies, like, oh my god, incredible work. And then the leads as well. But I, it hasn't ruined theatre, but I do dissect things a lot more. I've seen company four times and will probably go again at least once before the end of the run. As much as I, I love it and it's incredible, a lot of that time is spent like, oh, interesting, slightly different choice made there this evening. Or like, I'll notice a word changed because I saw it in previews and obviously uh, the legend Stephen Sondheim was there a lot rewriting it for the new production. So I would, you know, go back the next time and be like, oh, interesting, that lyric was changed. I wonder why. So that kind of thing, it sometimes gets on my nerves because I'm like, oh, just watch the show, Matthew, stop it. I'd, I'd love to know weird 
tips and tricks about like how the backstage area works or like how a certain piece of set happens. Like I went to see The Cursed Child last year and I knew um, Jamie Hayes who was operating the sound so she took us backstage and like that was great for me because I was like wow all this magic and now I can see where everything's going and kind of piece it together. So yeah being performer I dissect things a lot more and yeah an ensemble and a study track wowza they are the real they're the heroes swings oh god i mean yes. how does anyone do that oh, wow we had a swing workshop a couple of months ago and i just if you're a swing my friend grace mauer is a swing on six and yeah. so for the last year i guess that they've been doing it she was the only one and now i think they've got two others in now it's extended yeah. the west end but for her to learn i just wow whoever can do that is incredible what have you seen on the West End lately? Any favorites? Anything you you're looking forward to, maybe? Oh, looking forward to. Ooh, what's coming up? A bunch of what things. What is coming up? There's a lot of like transfers. Yeah. I haven't seen Come From Away yet, which I'm very I've excited seen about. It. So good. I've like listened to it before, but I don't know super lots about it, which I love because I, in my obsessive nature, tend to know a lot about like quite a lot of the stuff, especially by the time it comes from Broadway to the yeah, UK. Of course. I've normally got quite a good idea. So I'm really excited because somehow come from away like pass me by. So I know the premise and like, I know yeah. me in the sky. That's about it. Yeah. So I and Rachel Tucker singing that song is gonna be worth the ticket price alone. I love going to theatre by myself. I do too. I do. Because too. you meet people, and I have had some of the most magical. I've got a friend actually on Twitter who um she she's this lovely woman who went to see the second preview of Company by herself and we were sat in the same row and she'd come all the way, I can't remember, I think she was from Liverpool, she came all the way down and we had a chat. Then, mysteriously, she liked one of my friend's tweets a few days later and I saw her profile and was like, oh my God, that's the woman I sat next to at Company. So we've now, we message all the time just about shows and she, she'll reply to my tweets every time I see Company again. She's like, I hate you. So yeah, but going by yourself, like you get to have those experiences and like, it makes the shows more memorable. Like, I saw The Inheritance, The Young Vicar did a full day, and everyone in my row was there by themselves. Mm -hmm. So we would all discuss in the intervals. The King and I went alone, and I thought that was stunning. Kelly O'Hara, wow. The, Ruthie Ann Miles, I, was, I saw it once without her. Yeah. And obviously, for those who don't know, Ruthie Ann Miles has had, like, a tragic year. Um, she was in a car accident, and her daughter died, and then her unborn baby died as well, and she was horribly injured and it was just so so sad so when I heard that she was still going to come over to London I was like I need to go again and I went and I think like that made me emotional just seeing her up there in a like I felt proud despite the fact that I've never met Ruthie Miles yeah. but I was it was just incredible to watch her but again I was there by myself and the, there was a great woman next to me who was so passionate about the show and we got chatting and we talked about Ruthie Ann Miles and she was really emotional when I told her about that and then we were talking about other shows we'd seen. So I think going to theatre by yourself can be really special um, and you don't have to worry about what the person next to you thinks because I'm really bad for that as well. If I take a friend to see something, the whole show I'm like, I love this, oh I'm really worried in case they don't. Whereas if you go by yourself you can just love it or hate it and it doesn't matter. Yeah. Okay, so anybody in this industry that you look up to besides Patti LuPone? Yes, um, Daniel Evans, who is the artistic director at Chichester Festival Theatre, because he had an incredible performing career and now obviously is a wonderful director and artistic director. Um, his career path is something that I would love, <laughs> would be like the dream career path. But I think um, in general, in the whole wide world, Marianne Elliott is 
the bomb. She is just wow. I've never seen a, a show that she's directed that I haven't left kind of speechless. And I think she's a wonderful collaborator because she has the best teams of people and the best casts that no matter what you see, her work is not necessarily that, oh yes, that's a Marion Elliott because I think she allows people to create a lot. So, I mean, Angels in America was a life-changing experience for me. And again, I just thought, wow, but she assembled such great teams that every, like, you know, her design element, Bunny Christie on company, and I think she did Angels as well. Just that design and the light and the, oh, she's, she just gets it right every time. Okay, what's your musical theatre bucket list? Ba- bucket list, wait, like to see, to direct, no, to, to, be to, in. to be in. To be in, yeah. Oh, that's always a tricky one. I always have this dilemma because shows that I love are not usually shows that like have a role for me. So I'm like, I'd love to be Sally in Follies. I'd love to play Cornelius in Hello Dolly one day. Like Toby and Sweeney Todd's a great one. That's like, do you know what? Eugene in Greece. I'm just throwing it out there. I know that that is maybe like less intense than the others, but oh my God, that would be so much fun. And I think that that suits my lanky body type down to a T. So any casting directors, I know it's going back out on tour, so I get in touch. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, those are maybe the th- and then like it's always been like when I'm in my thirties, I love to play Bobby and Company. But now I've seen it done by a woman. I yeah. don't know if I want to play Bobby and Company because I I don't know if I want to see a production with a man. Maybe Bobby and Company, yeah. but maybe not. And I'm okay with that. What's sort of the best and most difficult part well, parts of starting out in the industry? I think they're the same thing, and I think the best thing is that everything is possible. And I think the worst thing is that you have no idea what's gonna happen, which in reality are the exact same thing. This is kind of like a lightning round slash, not really. Great. So, <laughs> you know, however you interpret that. What do you think is the best way of earning someone's respect? Being honest. Cool. Are you a foodie? Yes. What's your favorite like must have food? so bad Domino's <laughs> nice I just I can't like that. honestly you could offer me a Domino's most days and I would say yes question about nutrition as a performer like anything <laughs> I've got just totally <laughs> I second. love Domino's is there anything that you must have or can't have as a performer like what's the um, I try not to eat too much dairy mm-hmm. um, mainly from a vocal perspective I, I drink like oat milk rather than using milk cheese is something I can't give up but yeah, I think it varies for people. I know there's some people on my course who are like crazy into their nutrition and will eat like loads of this amazing stuff. I try and just get a balance. It depends on that body type. It depends on what you want to do. I was vegetarian for like a year and a half and I've recently taken to kind of being like semi-vegetarian. So I will allow myself to buy meat slash fish if I'm out of the house, but I don't cook with it. Because I just, to be honest, that was mainly because I found that once I went vegetarian, I actually was able to maintain weight more because mm-hmm. I've always really struggled to gain weight. Yeah. I think it's probably because I was just eating loads of carbs. But I was I was managing to keep on weight, so that was a positive for me. So I decided to keep going. And I did it for the environmental reasons mainly. Yeah. Um, but then I was just so sick of eating, like, shit bean burgers. So I was like, do you know what? When I'm out of the house, I'm going to tr- be able to treat myself if I want to. And I'm not going to feel guilty about, you know, having the occasional chicken burger or whatever. And that's such an individual thing. Because I love a Domino's. And I'm not giving that up for any career. I don't care what it is. And this is not sponsored by <laughs> Domino's, by the way. No, um, not at all. Podcast recommendation. I would say an amazing podcast is Industry Minds. They talk about 
mental health in the arts and all that surrounds that and I think that's a very worthwhile thing to talk about as I've already blabbered on about but also My Dad Wrote a Porno is a classic I haven't I'm literally only in like season two I'm very late to the party but wow are you going to go to that live show that they're doing are they doing another one I think in April I'm pretty sure if it's not sold out I might have to go because yeah yeah, they're hilarious this is a question I asked just because I'm genuinely shit in the kitchen and (laughs) and you're a foodie okay so recipe recommendation roast like a roast root vegetable lasagna kind of thing I love like with some like aubergines in that kind of vibe I much prefer that to the I've never really liked mince even when I wasn't a vegetarian so like a roasted vegetable lasagna I think BBC have like an amazing recipe for it okay so banging that's the best what absolutely excites you right now everything everything yeah have you ever stage doored yes but yeah, once you see someone at stage door, personally, I don't know what I would do. And for me, I don't really get the novelty of like just having a photo with someone if you haven't had like a meaningful interaction with them. So no, not really. But I remember I did for the Book of Mormon when it first came to the West End because I loved Gavin Creel. And I met Gavin Creel and his dog and he was like, I was quite young, but he was lovely. I've staged, I think I staged all for like Blood Brothers when I was like 10 to meet like Maureen Nolan. So that's a really, <laughs> yeah, I definitely did. That's really strange. Yeah, I think those are like the only two times. Wow. Meaningful experience. Yeah. In your life. Who knew I loved the Nolans so much? Not mm. me. Um, yeah, I've never staged or because I'm, I'm an anxious person. Mm. Like, I can't, similar to you, I can't just go there and ask for a photo or anything. I have to have a conversation. But now I feel like in England, it's become a bigger thing. You know, it's certainly very, I remember, like, even when I went to the Book of Norman one, which was 2013, I think it opened, there was like nobody there. And now, yeah, the crowds are ridiculous. I mean, obviously, Broadway is like insane. They like round the block for the stage door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, favourite thing about London? Ooh. Or place? Favourite thing about London? Um, do you know what I love, and I hope it never, I never grow tired of it, is walking across um, the bridge from like Charing Cross over to the South Bank. And every time, especially on a night, I just love to stop and just have a look, and it never fails to like, take my breath away a bit. Um, I think it's like my Twitter header photo as well, because I just... For somebody who, you know, for like the first 18 years of his life dreamed of moving to London, to be able to just walk that bridge on my way home is like a really, I don't know, it just like really affirms like, wow, I'm so lucky to be in such an incredible city. Best piece of advice that you've received? It's not life or death. I feel like I could talk to you forever, <laughs> but... Um, it's because I never shut up. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, you're genuinely interested to talk to me. Thank you. I think, yeah, I'm, I'm just very happy, so <laughs> thank you. Thanks very much.